it is wonderful to be here with you all, and I'm so grateful for your open hearts, your open souls, and the chance to hopefully say some things that come alive by the divine life we were just speaking about that spark in your hearts, that change your heads, that strengthen your soul in every possible way, and bring you along into a more perfect knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. We, we talk sometimes about being saved like it was going through a gate, that once you're in that gate, uh, you never go back out of it. You never, it's a, it's a life-defining moment. And while it is a gate, while it is a life-defining moment, that gate seems to have a long threshold. There's one place in Hebrews where it talks about those who are being saved, and being saved is a lifelong journey for all of us. We have to keep growing and continue to change and to be more perfectly molded into the image of the Lord. So I'd encourage you right off the bat to not let yourself be at a place where you think you don't need to change anymore, where you think you don't need to grow anymore or learn anymore, because uh, that's the one thing. That's the one thing I found at least that would keep me, keep anybody from uh, inheriting the further presence, the further blessings of God. I'm sorry, my wife Jean was supposed to be here with us, but she's fighting a cold. I know it's not very fashionable, but people still do get colds these days. <laughs> and so she, they wouldn't have let her on the airplane. So she's, she's not well. I hope she can join us later in the week before we have to part company. I sent her a video of all of you worshiping the Lord as you gathered around in the beginning. And uh, you're all very dear as your pastors, Joel and Jamie, are into our hearts. We pray for you. We pray for you. I pray for you pastors more than I pray for you, but that's because I see their face more perfectly in my mind. That's why I'm standing up here looking around so I can remember when I go home who I looked at and what I saw. So uh, anyway, it's great to be here, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to talk to you about hearing today. Maybe I can do the punchline, and then we won't have to stay all day. I don't know. But uh, I'm going to talk to you about hearing, and it's not because I don't think you listen. It's not because I don't think you hear, but it's because there's so much noise in the background that it is a different season for you to hear and for you to listen. And it requires a different kind of focus. It requires a different kind of skill. It maybe even requires, certainly it would, a different kind of spiritual discipline. So that uh, this, this is probably the time in your own life, whatever, however age you are, this may be the most seminal, the, the, the pivotal time in your life where you need to be able to know that you hear God for yourself in your own heart which is one of the wonderful promises is talked about both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jeremiah 31 says, No man shall teach you, and every man shall say that they know the Lord for themselves. And that's, that's not just meaning we don't need to have teachers tell us what the Word of God says. It means that we're all supposed to have such an intimacy with Him that we're, number one, locked into our own beliefs and values and convictions, and we know what He's saying to us so that we don't get sidestepped, that we don't get misled, or that we don't mislead and sidestep anybody else because they don't know what the will of the Lord is for their own life. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to talk about listening. We're going to talk about hearing some of the things that maybe 
prevent it, some of the things that alter it, and perhaps if we get around to it, what the reason might be for it. I'm going to start off with a seemingly oblique thought that uh, you know the verse. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life and should not perish, should not perish but have eternal life. Father, with your word and heart and mind, we, we come to you right now and freely confess that I can't say anything to change anybody's life. I can't say anything myself that would impact your world, and they can't on their own generate the wisdom and the grace to be changed. But that life-changing spirit that was present with us in praise and worship, that's with us indeed wherever we go, however we live our lives, that life-changing spirit working in us both the will and the do of your good pleasure, is it always at work to lead us and teach us and guide us into all truth. So for every man and woman and boy and girl here, guide them into some truth by your spirit and by your word that is pertinent and relevant for their life as we seek what the pertinent and relevant word for the body at large and maybe these times actually are. We thank you for this, Father, in Jesus' name. Tricky word. Last time I was here, I talked about this word, so I don't want you to think it's the only thing I know if you heard me, but there's a, there's a preposition in, uh, in John 3.16. It's, it's the preposition ice. It's, it's the word in. And that we, we read, I've read, maybe you haven't, you're probably smarter about these things than I am, but I've read John 3.16 most of my life and thought it meant that it was enough just to believe about Jesus or to believe on Jesus. Like if we just heard the story and we could somehow mentally assent to the story's merit and value that we were going to be saved and have eternal life. But it's, it's a deeper thought than this. It's the word into, and it means if any man, any person, believes into him. And the idea is like you move from being who you were and grow into him as a functioning member of his body. It's not just about the information. It's about the transformational change that's intended to take place in my life, in your life, where the line between who I am and who he is moves so that when I look at myself and when you look at me, you see less of David and more of that eternal life of Christ than you did of David. So all of my life I hope to be growing. I hope all of your life that you are growing, that you are changing, and that you're not just content to leave church or to leave your family, leave your circumstances like they've always been, but that you know that there's more of God's likeness that you can move into and express and carry into the world that you're being called to. And this is it's essential. It's so simple. Forgive me for that. But it's essential because if you've looked around at the body of Christ for the last two years, you've seen what I've seen, and you've seen that most, most of us across the board weren't as well grounded in truth as we wanted the world to think we were. We were far easier swayed off of our biblical beliefs and values than, than what we would have ever 
thought we would be and that we weren't as quick to recover and come back with a Christ-centered worldview. That's like a school word, isn't it? Christ-centered worldview that looks around and sees everything from the point of view of what he's doing, what his goal is, and what's happening. And the problem with that, of course, is that it makes me not have a David-centered worldview or a church-centered worldview. Church was good. Let's go home. I see it in your faces. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. It's okay to laugh. Oh, That said, how's that happen? You know it as well, if not better than I do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's got to do with what you hear. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And uh, verse, verse number, uh, I got it marked up. I think it's verse 18 that we're going to look at. Uh, two different places. This same scenario is painted in, uh, remotely after the parable of the sower, Mark chapter 4, same story, and it's the same story here, except there's a subtle difference, but one we want to pay attention to. So Jesus is given the parable about the sower sowing the word and said it's the most important thing you can ever understand is that when the word's sown, it brings forth fruit. Whether it's a bad seed or a good seed, whatever's sown brings forth some kind of fruit in your life. And it's not just what you're sowing, it's what's being sown into you. What's being sown into you ultimately becomes that which you sow because what is sown into you is what you become. You become what you listen to. If it's true, you become what you eat physically. You become what you listen to spiritually. So you have to pay heed to what you're hearing because it gets on the inside of you and is constantly working trying to make you over in that same image. I couldn't quite figure out who it was, but when Pastor Joel stood up to speak, he had somebody's different accent in his voice when he spoke. You all wouldn't have heard it because you hear him every week. I've got a young guy. I'm the bane of his life. He's in his 40s. He's probably close to 50 years old now. He's trained with me in all of his ministry career, and he just sounds like a perfect Canadian until he stands up and talks, and all of a sudden sounds like he spent the biggest part of his life in the eastern half of Oklahoma, like I did. It just comes out. You, be, you, begin, you begin to take on the voice of that which sowed seed into you. So listen carefully to what you hear. So this is what the lesson is here in this. And verse number 18, Jesus sums it up. He's talking about light shining. He says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Here Jesus said, according to Luke, Take care of, take heed for what you hear. In Mark's version of it, he says, take care how you hear. How and what are not the same thought. So we have to conclude that whether this was just two different sermons recorded at different times, whatever the case was, how and what were put there on purpose for us to, to gain. So he said, take care what you hear. So that means the kind of things that you hear and the quantity of things that you hear. But it also means take care about how you hear them, how you listen to them.
And this is very important because you can listen with an open heart. You can listen with an open mind. Or you can listen thinking you know what's being talked about. You can listen thinking that you know something that's different. You have to be able to listen because if you can't listen, if we can't listen to each other, we're probably not going to be so red hot at listening to the Lord either. The Lord may have something to say to you that's a little bit different than what he's normally said to you especially in the times you find yourself living in. There may be a different word that's intended to define your life. There may be a different flavor that he's trying to bring into you because he sets up times and seasons. He changes, he changes man's purposes and so that we can look ahead right now and say, you know, he's doing something in the earth, and it's probably not wise for me to think that he's doing the same thing he was doing in 18, 1980 or 1990 or that he's at least not doing it in the same exact fashion that he was doing it. Truth remains Styles, approaches change, not just to be cool. They change because the culture changes. And because the culture changes, it has to be touched differently for it to be considered credible. That means there's probably a whole lot more for you and I to believe in than what we've ever encountered before. He said, take care what you hear, take care how you hear, because to him that has hearing more will be given to him that does not have hearing, even what he seems to have, he will lose. And you know, if you stop and thought about it, you might be able to pinpoint that happening in your own life. You might have seen it in somebody else's life to where they, pay attention, to where they came to a place in life and they were listening and they were listening and they were listening and they were growing and they were learning. And then the pastor stood up and said, Jesus stood up and said through the pastor, you read in the book where it said, thou shalt be more committed or thou shalt go to church more or thou needeth to pray more often. Thou needeth different friends. That can't be true. I can't possibly need different friends because Jesus loves everybody. And he certainly wants me to hang on to the same relationships, right? Probably not. Because I was always just weak enough that I would be inclined to give in and do what those friends wanted me to do. So regardless of how much he loves them, he still has a covenant with me to care for me and guard my soul. And he sometimes needs to say, Bob, you're spending more than you're making. Bob, you're... you're, Putting yourself in a position where you can't sustain yourself spiritually. And you're spread so thin that while it looks like you're doing all the right things the right way, all it's going to take is one bump from the devil and your house of cards is going to fall. So you go through life and you listen, you listen, you listen, you grow, you love church, you love the Bible, you love the word. And the Lord invariably says something to you to change your life, to rock your world, to shape your identity differently, to reshape your identity as an individual, as a family, as a church. You read it, and you see that the Lord tells you to, oh, somebody help me out here, change something about your life, and the first thing you think about is, 
this is going to cost me time, money, or reputation. This is going to cost me effort. This is going to change the way my wife sees me, the way my husband sees me. I have to have different priorities. And then you say, let's just close the book. Because I know that wasn't audible. Nobody heard that. Nobody heard, nobody heard what I heard. Nobody heard it the same way that I heard it. So I'm going to tell myself, I'm going to wait for some more witnesses to confirm it. I just need 12 more. What's a jury of 12? We need 12 witnesses. And I've got all the time of my life so I can wait 40 years to find them all. But you can't and you don't. So when you hear it and your heart is pricked, you have to take responsibility for those moments when your heart is pricked. When your conscience, we sang a song about our soul awakening. When it's awakened just for a second. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and you see that you got a little bit more time and you go back to sleep. Sometimes in the body of Christ, we wake up in a moment, we wake up with a word, and we think, oh, this is probably ahead of the game. I can close my eyes and think about this and sleep for a little bit longer. But it says, awake, awake from your sleep, and Christ will give you life. That's a scary thing because sleep and death are kind of associated in the same thought. You can die spiritually if you don't stay awake. So you go along and you rock it along and you've seen it in your own life. You've seen it in somebody else's life. I know you have. It's there. It's everywhere. You say, okay, well, I'm, not, I'm really not sure how to process that word right now. I'm really not sure what to do. So you just think I'm going to put it on the shelf. I'm going to put it up high somewhere. I'm not going to touch it for a while. But then after a while, after a while, the very fact that you've refused to receive it begins to work its way in and penetrate your heart and soul and change your other relationships and change your other behavior. So over a period of perhaps months, perhaps some years, you can find yourself because you didn't believe what was handed to you. This is why Jesus is actually pretty parsimonious about what he tells you. This is why he doesn't just say, come on, I, I'm sorry I confused you with this book. Please sit down and just listen. I'll explain it all in the next 15 minutes. It's because you have to be able to bear it. You have to be able to endure it. You have to be able to face it. He didn't tell me everything I was going to do. If the day I got born again, he said, you're going to have to go live in another country, and you're going to have to go preaching, and you're going to do this all for me. I just said, you know what? I just, whatever I felt that night couldn't have been real. Because I cannot do that. I cannot stand in front of a group of people and talk. So he very wisely said, mm, we'll talk about this later. <laughs> we'll tell you all about this later. But there always comes a later when you can handle it, where it's unfolded, where it's unveiled into your life, where you can receive it, where you can let your identity be changed, where you can let the identity of your family, of your church, of your theology be enlarged, not, not eradicated. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever good things he gives doesn't take away from all the other good things he's given. They add to it. And we need in this day everything we can have add to us 
to accomplish what he's called us to do. Because there are things, notice that funny turn of phrase, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has, it'll be taken away. I can think I've got something. I can think I've got something because I've heard it, but not really have it. I can have a knowledge of it, but never have it penetrated into my life or heart and never penetrated into the revelation or what that means. Chapter 9 of Luke. Way up towards the latter half of it. Here's a good church thing going on. Jesus Jesus has just uh, come down off the mountain and healed the boy with the spirit that nobody else could uh, minister to. It's a high water mark. They're all blown away. So verse 43 says, And they were all astonished at the majesty of God. They were all just blown away but how big and how good and how strong God was. Jesus, in a sense of timing that's got to be otherworldly, chooses this moment to say, while they were still marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Say, hang on a second. This is not why we came to church. This is not the message we were looking for right there. We, we think when something's going really well that it will never not go well. It never occurs to us that the fact that God's moving and that it's going really well will bring more scrutiny on us. We, it never occurs to us that when the body of Christ rises up and stops acting like a mere man but begins to act like Christ himself, that the world's not going to just be thrilled with it all. That they're going to look at us and say, man, I should have known that that was the real thing. They're not going to say that. They're going to say all sorts of bad things about you and about me. And if it's not in our generation, it's in the next generation or the next generation. They're going to be saying all sorts of things about us for our stands on faith, for the things that we believe. And if those truths the real truths that he wants rooted into your heart and mind aren't there right now, you'll change your mind. I'll change my mind. I'll give up and I'll go a different direction because of the pressure. And I'll think, hey, you were doing good when people were getting healed. They were getting saved. You were doing good. Marvelous things were happening. What's all this focus on me? He says it's not really a focus on you. It's a focus on me, but because it is, it affects you. And your Christianity will not always affect you in the happiest way possible. So, pretty regular these days, I say to myself, God so loved the world that he sent his son that if I would believe into him, and keep moving until I became more like him, I'd have eternal life. We're not going to go there, but there's all sorts of places later on in the book where the scriptures make reference to moving into Jesus and growing up and becoming like Jesus. We've got to stop thinking about 
universally, I don't think you guys do this, we've got to stop thinking about us being on one side of the line where we're the helpies and he's the helper. And as the helpies, we're like baby birds in a nest, always needing our needs met, always waiting for something to come to us, that we're the, we're the victims in this case. We're the broken ones. I got some good news for you. As broken as you are, you are the cream of the crop. As broken as your family is, as broken as your relationship is, as wounded as your soul is, you've got the restorer and the repairer of the breach living on the inside of you who can in a moment as you step forward to show forth his glory and his design, heal, restore, make you better in your serving, make you better in your living than you ever could be if you just sit and wait for the doctor to make his rounds. You move into that. You become not just like him, a nicer person. Jesus did not come, I know you know it, to save washed up, cleaned up sinners. Jesus came to change you, not just into a good citizen, not just into a better version of yourself. He came to change you and to make you like him. And he promised you that you will do greater works than these, and you will do all the things that I do. He did not tell you, you will have to have the courage and the strength to persevere and push forward and to actually be made a son or a daughter of God like I am a son of God, that you'll have to become, we say the phrase, part of my body. You'll have to become like me in your own little broken world, doing your best to find the word of truth and to bring a spirit of faith to bear on it so that you can change the people and the situations around you just like I would were I there. <clears throat> he said, this is the phrase that really jumped out at me at the verse. He said, let these words sink down into your ears. We're not going to read the rest of it. I'll take you off the point. But uh, if, you, if you'll notice this, just the thought, read it sometime on your own. As the paragraph progresses, it says, they couldn't understand him. So it was hidden from them. And then they went out and began to argue once again about who was going to be the greatest of all. To capsule, encapsule the entire paragraph, Jesus knew that they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Every time Jesus said something like this to them, as far as what's recorded, their response was, oh, man, I hate that. Who's going to be the boss when you die? Okay, if you're dying, who's going to be in charge? So what are we going to do? We, we have to have a line of succession here. That was what they always talked about in this particular case. Jesus listened to him, went and got a little boy, little child, and said, whoever receives this little child like he received me is receiving me. He's fundamentally saying, you're missing the whole equation here. You're, I, 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 a kid can do this. A kid can do this that comes and represents me. So he said, it's not important who's in charge. He said, what's, what's really in charge, what's really important is, is, is that you hear that you listen, that you don't ever let yourself 
it's implied, but it's not actually said, be willfully ignorant so that you don't say, I don't know what he means. Because anytime you have some information from him that you don't know what he meant, you will take it and try and make it mean something that you understand. So he said, let these words sink down into your ears. How do words sink? How do they actually sink? I mean, you hear something or you don't hear it, but we all know that sometimes when you drain a sink or a bathtub, the water seems to meet some resistance and drain ever so slowly. When he says, let these words sink into your ears, it's that same little word into. It's like, let these words get into the fiber of your being. Let those words move in you. Let those words change you. And for those words to change you, you're going to have to make a choice to let them sink. Because if you don't, you're stopped up thinking. You're stopped up thinking will will forever keep that truth from forever deeply penetrating who you are as a human being. Well, what blocks it? I have my own priorities. I have my own values. I've said this a dozen times. I have my own identity that I don't necessarily want to lose. That's very kind of you, Joel. Thank you. I have my own identity that I don't want to lose in the process. And, children, if I could get you to take a pill today that would make you at one time for all be willing to let your identity, to let your soul, to let you, to motivate you to entrust your soul, your personality, your identity, your will, to a faithful creator, I would do it. But it too is a lifelong process. You do have to say, I know who I really want to be. I know who I want to be as a church. I think I know what you like. I think I know what you value. But you know what? I might not know as much as I think I know. So I'm willing to trust you to make me over in the fashion you want me made in. I'm willing to trust you to change my family and make my family like you want my family to be, to make my soul like you want my soul to be. I'm willing to give you the room to make me into a different person if that's your will. That's what the sinking process does. That word works its way down into your heart. That word works its way down into your mind and into your body and changes you. At the risk of putting one too many thoughts on the table, we're going to close with a portion of Scripture in Hebrews chapter 10. I could have thrown it if I had the lid. The Lord is good. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In chapter 10, we're going to read this paragraph that's a quote out of the 40th Psalm. It says, 
Consequently, when Christ came into the world in verse 5, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings, you've taken no pleasure. Then, then I said, then, then. Then's important in this story. Then's a time word. Then means not before this, but then means now. That was then, this is now. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. What a wonderful phrase, I've come to do your will, O God, what's written of me in the, in the scroll of the book. In his case, he's talking back in chapter 9, where it says that he, by his eternal spirit, by his own spirit, willingly offered his sacrifice to God to cleanse the world. Did you ever wonder why the blood of bulls and goats didn't cleanse the world, but Jesus' blood did? It certainly was because it had no sin in it, but it was because he offered it. When bulls and goats were sacrificed, it was done to them. They had no will to it. But when he offered himself, when he rose up above the case and he offered himself, that's why they're all forever settled and finished because a man did this willingly. So when it's talking about doing what's written in the scroll of the book, that's the ultimate goal. That's the ultimate point for him right there. But what's written about your life is in the book as well. There's words about you that are in this book that require not you just being sorry and trying to make things right because you made a mistake, but for you to actually offer your body, to offer your life, to offer your being. Now, this is quoted differently than it is in the psalm. Here it says, you prepared for me a body. But in the psalm it says, you have given, given me a hearing ear. You've dug out my ear so that I could hear. Because what you hear gets onto the inside of you and prepares you to go and do the works that you were created to do that go beyond your Christianity being based on did I do something wrong or did I do something right? Am I a bad boy or am I a good boy? I'm just getting my behavior monitored here. It goes far beyond that and says, I'm identifying with who you are finding your purpose for you, I'm finding my part in your purpose, and I'm working alongside of you. You've given me a hearing ear that I might do all that you've created and designed for me to do. This isn't a preacher word. This just isn't a Jesus word. This is a church word. And it's a word that his church needs to begin to grapple with. I hope I haven't troubled you with things that were hard to understand. But it's a word that you have to grapple with because your future is inexorably linked to his future in the areas of ministry in Red Deer and Alberta, wherever God's called you to go, what he's called you to do. You are absolutely entwined together in that. And if he's ever, if you've ever been in a position where you were needed to be the best Christian you could be as defined by hearing and knowing the will of God and doing it, it is now. It is right now. It is not a one-time shot. It is not a one-time change. It is a lifelong pursuit for you to move forward, for you to move ahead, grappling with his will. I want to invite you to do that.
You don't have to know what it looks like. You can't begin to imagine what it would be like if you had words to shape it. But what you can know and what you do know is that immense sense of fulfillment and joy that comes to you every time you know you've done something right. I know every one of you has experienced that. Might be small, might be big, but when you did something right because the Lord told you, no matter what it seemed to cost you to do it, your heart was satisfied with the identity that you have in Christ. This is what he's calling you to. This is what he's calling your church and indeed all churches to. To rise up in that day and be ready so that no matter what happens on the outside, you are capable and more than able to stand up in the face of adversity and not just say something. Not say something you would have said 20 years ago. Not just not say something because you like it but to say something that is so permeated into the depth of your being that it is an expression of who you are. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that hearts, minds, and lives, again, will be impacted, if not by what's said and done today or right now, but what's been heard by your spirit, lodge your truth, lodge your truth, not David's truth, not David's phrase, lodge your truth into the hearts as deep as it can penetrate, into the minds, the emotions, and the feelings of all these individuals. May they surrender their hearts and lives to do all of the will of God. In Jesus' name. I'm not going to do anything more except this one last very small thing. I'm going to ask those of you who would want a hearing ear that you might do all the will of God. I'm going to ask you just to stand. And I'm going to pray for a grace for you to have it. Just like when we answered your call into salvation's realms, this moment is also a moment where we answer your call to stand in salvation. Wherever we've erred, stumbled, sinned, forgotten, overlooked, not heard, not heard what we didn't hear, covered over what we did here wash it away by the blood and with our sincere determination to listen to what you say may we give each other permission to listen to what you say may we give our spouses and our families our pastors our church permission to become someone different as long as it's different in Christ. Bring us into the fullness. Lead us and guide us into truth. The right time, the right way. We don't have to imitate anybody. 
or hold anybody else's values, only yours. So Father, in the name of Jesus, with all of my heart and my soul, I speak the word of grace, enablement, endowment, and fulfillment into their own lives, into their hearts, that they won't stumble over their failures, but that they will increasingly wind themselves tighter and tighter in the bundle of life with the Lord their God to do His will only and always in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for your kindness to me. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David. We have ears to hear. You know, there's a Proverbs chapter, I don't remember, I think it's 20, but it just talks about hearing ears and eyes that see both are gifts from the Lord. And that is something, you know, it's not just, every time I see that phrase and you see that word gift, we know that's a grace. And so that's what we want to operate on. There's a, there's a grace for us to hear. And I believe that for a church. I mean, in the, in the book of Revelation, Pastor David, we were just chatting about that a little bit. And, you know, in the book of Revelation, all the seven churches had one similar message in common. He all said, if any, uh, those that have ears to hear, let them hear. And so that's something we've been talking about as a church family as well, is that we, for the church, what do we need to do in these days? We need to not just be louder, we need to be strategic. And we need to hear, God, what would you have us do? What's our assignment in this city, in our nation? What would you have us do? What's our part? And so we just want to say thank you, amen, to that word. We receive that for however God wants to be, lead us to be different in Christ. I love that.